You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. Welcome, everybody, into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Joined with me, as always, right to my left, that is Ryan Shumpert. Today is Wednesday, August 3rd. We are smack dab in the middle of the week of Tennessee football fall camp, and we are going to be telling you all about it today. But first, Ryan, how you doing, my friend? What's going on? I'm doing well. Football is back. That's yeah. what's going on. Football is back, and we're getting back into a little bit of a routine of things after we're talking about it Sunday, going over to the, uh, you know, Tennessee had their own media day before beginning practice Monday, and I, you know, I was driving over there, and I was saying this is seven weeks to the day Notre Dame knocked off Tennessee baseball and into the season, and it's like it's seven weeks summer vacations over. It's time seven to, weeks. Yeah, seven weeks, and it's, wow, it was time to get things going again, and here we go full speed and getting into football and what uh, should be an entertaining season and has been <laughs> an entertaining fall camp to date. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think going back to what you said, Tennessee obviously started the week with a media day on Sunday. So they had, I think, Ryan, we had 11 interviews or or maybe even that number got up to 12 by the end of it. But a lot of things going on. Josh Heupel opens up the press conference with four words. It's football time in Tennessee. Maybe that's five. five, Quick math here. Once he said those words, Ryan, I feel like we have been nonstop ever since. He is certainly correct. It is football time in Tennessee as the team is back on the field. Uh, the team is back on the field as of Monday morning. Obviously, they start just exactly one month out from the season opener, opener against Ball State and Run. We got plenty to talk about from the first three days of fall camp. We got plenty of interviews to discuss and a lot of things along those lines. But why don't we go ahead and start off with the breaking news that came down this morning? Tennessee adds another running back to the roster from the transfer portal. Tennessee added running back Lynn J. Dixon. He officially announced on Instagram this morning that he would be transferring to the University of Tennessee. Now, this is a guy that some Tennessee fans might be familiar with. He was in the class of 2018 as a recruit, actually committed to Tennessee in the summer of 2017. Is that correct? That is. Yeah, the Butch Jones era will never die in Knoxville. He was a Butch Jones commit and I think decommitted <laughs> later that fall. Yeah. I think before Jones was even fired, but you know, when the season started to go downhill and ended up at Clemson, I think I kind of, guy that kind of blew up his recruitment pretty late. And really is an interesting, he's had a little bit of a, a Benjamin Button career where his first couple of years at Clemson, he was really good. He showed a lot of promise. I think he was maybe the number two back on that team that won the championship uh, with Trevor Lawrence a few years ago. I had the numbers pulled up here. Yeah, I ran for 547 yards as a freshman and 635 as a sophomore. And then from there, uh, some injuries and his numbers and his carries have really gone downhill the last few years. He entered the transfer portal back, I believe, during the season and chose West Virginia, went through spring practice in West Virginia, decided that's not the place for him and then entered the transfer portal, I believe, back in June before, before – uh, Arriving at Tennessee, yeah, we were just kind of wrapping up things on media day, and Lynn J. Dixon walked in right past all the media for for his visit, and <laughs> it seemed like it was kind of just a matter of time at that point, uh, kind of given how late the visit was in the process, and it'll be interesting to see him, I, I would expect, out on the practice field tomorrow, if not by the, by the weekend. Yeah, certainly very interested in 
seeing him on the field for Tennessee, seeing how he adds to that running back room that's that's already pushing each other right now. Because, I mean, right, we go back to, again, last Sunday, and Coach Eipel told us about how uh, Lenith Whitehead, Tennessee's running back, would be out for the whole season after undergoing surgery. So Tennessee ultimately a, a fairly small running back room right now. I, I believe only four scholarship players that would be in Jabari Small and Jalen Wright, who, who Wright is a sophomore coming off of um, an impressive freshman season. But then the other two guys are a pair of freshmen themselves in Justin William Thomas and uh, Dylan Sampson. So ultimately, three out of those four guys are either sophomore, either a sophomore or freshman. Then you got Jabari Small leading the whole thing. So I certainly think it was important for Tennessee to maybe put another piece in this, uh, in this running back room. I think it's a solid piece, and at the very least, very, very experienced. I think that's a valuable trait that somebody can and needs to bring to that running back room to maybe help some of the development of those younger guys. Uh, they seem like they're developing already just from what we know and what we've gotten to talk to them about, but maybe even just a, a way to excel that, maybe a little bit way to amplify that a little bit. Lynn J. Jixon uh, could potentially bring that. Yeah, I mean, I just think more than anything, they needed a body. Uh, it was kind of one of those spots, I think, throughout the offseason that you looked at and you felt like Tennessee's pretty good here. I mean, they could use another guy just because yeah. they don't have a ton of bodies, and obviously they lose Tyon Evans to the transfer portal, and that was a big loss. And, you know, you kind of felt like maybe you'd like to have another quality body, but I think there was a lot of confidence in Jalen Wright, and I think there was a lot of confidence in what the two freshmen were going to be able to bring you as freshmen. Uh, but then when you lose the other guy in that room to injury for the whole entire season yeah. before you even start fall camp, it's, yeah, I mean, the, the depth is bad here. And you we know you're going to play two to three running backs every game. And we saw it last year where, you know, Jabari Small, he's granted he's added a lot. Uh, he's added some weight and a lot of uh, strength, I think, in, in the offseason. But he was a guy that played in just about every game last year, but with that shoulder injury, struggled to get through it at times. Uh, Tyon Evans, before he transferred, was injured. It's just you're going to take a lot of hits at that position, and you're going to have guys go down, and you need to have a lot of bodies. And all of a sudden, when you're third and four, fourth running backs, uh, your only – your third and fourth running backs on scholarship are both freshmen. Those guys, there's a lot of pressure on those guys, and that stuff can get you know amplified pretty quickly if someone goes down with an injury. So I think it was a huge get uh, to bring in Dixon. We'll see you know how much of this can be a jump start to his career, kind of at the end, like we've seen for some older players that have transferred to Tennessee. But at the very least, I think it's a huge depth piece that's that's really important for this football team. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that. You know, it's going to be really fascinating to see what Tennessee eventually does with that room. And you're right. They, they ultimately just needed a body right there. But you saw the way that Tennessee used the versatility of their running backs. I think that's an overall theme of the offense going in this year again is how are they going to use some of the pieces in the best and most productive way possible for that player? Again, I think a lot of, a lot of these weapons on Tennessee's offense bring maybe something, something different. And maybe it's not too different but at least something to the table that maybe the next guy doesn't. So I just find it fascinating how Tennessee is going to use these pieces to uh, to work together and produce the offense that they're looking to. Uh, it's going to be interesting to, uh, to see how that all works together. All right, so moving on to fall camp a little bit, though. Talking about Lynn J. Dixon, who is going to be arriving to Tennessee soon. Talk about another guy who arrived to Tennessee over the offseason. It's transfer wide receiver Brew McCoy. We've seen him out on the field for the first time this week. What are your initial thoughts of what you've seen on the field from McCoy? Well, I think more than anything, you know, what stands out is just where he's been in the rep orders. And, you know, we, we got to watch about 50 minutes the first day, and we've gotten to watch about probably a little less than 20 minutes uh, the last two days. So it's hard to glean you know, too, too much from this stuff. But uh, he's been 
down in the rep orders. I mean, Ramel, not only Ramel Keaton been ahead of him at, at that outside receiver spot on the other side uh, of Cedric Tillman, but Walker Merrill's been getting rip, reps ahead of him. I think even today, Caleb Webb was getting some reps ahead of him. And I think some of that is he's not eligible yet. You know, Tennessee's still waiting on that. He had surgery in the offseason. I don't think he didn't look like he was, you know, 100% in shape showing back up. And I think there's just a sense of you're going to have to earn this job. And he's a talented guy. I mean, you look at him, 6'3", you know, maybe I'm not exactly sure what his weight's li- weight is listed at. But, you know, really good-looking athlete. But at the same time, he's a guy that hasn't proved a whole lot in the college game anywhere he's been, let alone Tennessee. So I think the coaches are, are certainly trying to send a message he's going to have to earn it, anything he gets. And I think at the same time, when he's not eligible and it's early in camp, they haven't put the pads on yet, it's kind of a good time to send a message like that. And I think it'll be – he's going to escalate up the depth chart. He's going to escalate up the where he's getting more and more reps as fall camp goes along. But I think it's going to be interesting to see if he can expedite that process a little bit and see how quickly he is kind of in second team or even the first team if he does get eligible. Yeah, you know, a lot of that was really the first thing that stood out to me as well. So first off, when when we were able to watch practice on Monday, that was a, a little bit longer of a viewing period than, than we've had the rest of the week or that we will have the rest of the fall, that first day kind of getting out there. Uh, get to see a little bit longer. So we did watch the the team go through 11 on 11 workouts. Your your starting trio of wide receivers for Tennessee right there uh as I think we expected going into it, probably what they would do would be uh Tillman, Hyatt in the slot and Ramel Keaton on the outside. And, and again, I, I think to your point, there's going to be a lot of hey, prove it. Hey, earn it. I, I think when you look at Tennessee's wide receiver group this year, you know, they said on Sunday that hey, ideally you might not get up to this point, but ideally you know, you would want six, seven guys to be able to rotate in there. Not to maybe play, you know, equal amounts all game, but at least to just be be confident enough to put in the game to maybe run a, a certain play or a certain scheme or, or maybe have a certain matchup that you would like to go against. Tennessee said on Sunday that, hey, that would be ideal for us if we could get that amount of wide receivers up to that level by the end of fall camp. Uh, so that's certainly something that, that I, I found as an interesting takeaway. But then again, when you look at just – the, the order they're going in. Brew, obviously, a little bit lower in the pecking order. Uh, you got some guys who were, who were in the Josh Heupel, in the Alex Golash system last year who's a little bit ahead of him. And to me, that's not, that's not entirely indicative of what things are going to look like in a month. I, I just think that exactly what you said. I think this is a great time to be in a little bit of a earn-it position. I think everybody wants to go out there and try hard and impress the coaches, impress the guys around them. Uh, and Brew McCoy might just have a little bit more hill to climb. But Hey, that's sometimes just what happens when when you might be a transfer or when you do have uh, have an obstacle to overcome, like off season surgery or, or something like that. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he continues to compete. Uh, I think for the rest of the month of fall camp, but he is a guy right now that that I do expect to, like you said, continue to climb up that ladder, uh, see where he falls by the end. Yeah, you're right. And you said that number six or seven. To me, I kind of look at five is what the. That receiver room, I think, needs to get. And I think it's a second guy at the slot behind Jalen Hyatt, which I don't think they're going to have a problem with there. Yeah, I think Alex Golish was pretty pointed when we talked to him on Sunday about Jimmy Calloway needing to be more consistent, needing to be more mature. And I, I've said on here, I've written, I've, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of his potential, and I think he's a, a guy who, if he can put it all together, will help Tennessee. And then uh, the other guy, I think, we'd be remiss not to mention in talking about receivers is Squirrel White, who has drawn praise from just about everybody we've talked to. <laughs> A lot of praise from some people, uh, Hendon Hooker included, and then really on Monday when we got to watch a little bit more of receivers versus DBs and then a little bit of seven-on-seven work, which granted they weren't in pads, so stuff in the trenches was obviously different, but he, I mean, he looked good. I mean, he was 
he's still at the bottom. Yeah, I think mainly working with the third team. He's going up against a lot of freshman defensive backs, but none of the freshman defensive backs on that on that roster could keep them in front could keep him in front of them. So he he looks to or his speed looks to part. His yeah. build I think is going to be the question: Can he hold up in the SEC level with such a small frame? But he he's going to be a fascinating one to watch to see if he can uh, kind of edge out a role on this team. You know, with Squirrel, that is so. I I think that. You know, if you've seen video of practice or if you got to be at practice or something like that, the speed is the first thing that stands out. It's almost impossible to miss. But maybe one of the most interesting things that I heard this week was Josh Heupel talking about how, hey, you know, yes, you see the speed. His exact quote was, he's not slow. I think that's a little bit of an understatement, but it's obviously what was going for there. But he talked about how physical this guy was. He said, hey, look, he might only be 5'10", maybe might be a little bit have a little bit smaller stature than some of the other guys, but at the same time, he will go and he will stick his face into any physical situation that he needs to. I found that fascinating. Maybe not a, necessarily a an aspect to his game that I was expecting uh, to see, but certainly I, I think you add that in and that only raises to the potential. But you're right, he, he's got that he's got that breakaway next-level secondary speed to where if he gets past his guy, whether it be the cornerback, maybe the safety, uh, just a little bit slow getting over there, not necessarily have the eyes in the right position, once he gets past a guy, he, he is flying. I, I mean, he is gone. It, it really is just remarkable speed. I, I believe at one point yesterday he said, what, he topped out at 23-6. Yeah. That is uh, – now, Tyree Kill in pads, Grant, you know, in pads in an NFL game, I, I think he hit the low 23 when I looked it up yesterday. So that is at, at least the realm of speed that you're talking about. I, I think he will use that quickness to his advantage, uh, and, and I cannot wait to see just what kind of – ways that Tennessee tries to get him the ball because whether whether it is frequent or infrequent, I think when you do get him in the ball, something something special could happen. That's just the kind of speed he has, the kind of player he is. But to your credit, we'll see how he holds up throughout fall camp, see how he holds up throughout the, throughout the fall just as the season goes on, and then ultimately just see how he makes his way up that depth chart, see how much he earns the ability to get on the field um, or maybe – Maybe they use him somewhere else. So that's a, that That was at least just the fascinating part about, I found about Squirrel, you know, the physicality. I didn't necessarily know that was going to be there, but according to head coach, uh, it is. Yeah, it definitely. And, you know, the one that kind of stood out to me on Monday was Cameron Miller, the freshman who came in, you know, out of Memphis, came in as a receiver recruit. They've moved him. He's starting at safety. I, Heupel said he's never played defensive back, you know, really in his life, um, or at least never played safety in his life, I think was his exact exact phrase. And he got matched up with him on one of his reps. And it was a tough – it was a tough welcome to play in defense moment for Cameron Miller, but I think kind of changing gears, looking at the defense, and one of the things that stood out to me is that defensive, defensive back room, and there's a lot more bodies there. And then I, I felt like you know yeah. you brought in the transfers, you had the guys that were kind of transfers last year. When you look at Brandon Turnage and Kamal Haddon, and you know those guys are there, but I feel like there's I, at least I feel a little bit better about where that defensive back room is after watching a few days of practice because there's so many options and. I think that's kind of the fine line of looking at it like that is the fact that there are a lot of bodies, but how well can those bodies play? Have those has Brandon Turnage and Kamal Haddon gotten made, made big steps forward this year? Because if they have, I, I think all of a sudden you're looking at a defense that could be take a you know a step a step up from where they were last year. But if not, you know it's going to be a secondary that really struggles. So I thought that was uh, one part that really stood out to me and was interesting. And uh, not a whole lot, at least the first three days, a lot not a whole lot of movement between. Uh, the defensive backs working at different spots, but I think that will, at least when, again, that's when we've been watching, which has been just the start of practice. I think it'll be interesting to see if they tinker a little bit more of that as practice goes on, because that's kind of uh, the 
vibe we got from Tim Bakes uh, talking to him on Sunday. Yeah, certainly a lot of new faces to the secondary, and that was one of the things that I have at least tried to lock in on a little bit, maybe familiarize myself with uh, a little bit over these first couple days, but you got guys like a, a Wesley Walker, an Andre Turrentine, a... Um, D. Uh, Williams. There you go, D. Williams as well, who who that's a guy that, that has impressed me, and what I've been able to just kind of lock in and see, I, I've been impressed by him, but just new faces I think that you're adding to the secondary to mix in with the guys that you already have. I would completely agree with you, man. The, one of the big takeaways is the secondary at least looks a little bit more bolstered, uh, I think, than you thought going into it. Some of those new faces, when you see them on the field, starts to click, starts to make a little bit more sense. It's going to be really interesting to see where they go with that. Uh, some, of the, some of the defensive backs during press conferences throughout the week have talked about, hey, you know, we are, we are defensive backs. You know, yes, we, we yeah. might practice with the safeties, we might practice with the corners, something like that, but... At the end of the day, we are, you know, Willie Martinez, the Tim Banks, the, the defensive staff wants us to to learn the whole field, right? To to learn each position in the de- uh, with the defensive backs, you know, with the secondary, so that you can have more versatility, you can have more flexibility, and you're also just more more of an experienced player, I think, when you know that more. So that is a that's something that I have certainly been watching for. Um, but absolutely, just new faces in the secondary. Yeah, you're right, and I thought what. I'd written about this, and it kind of felt like, wow, Tennessee has a lot of turnover at the starting secondary, and then I kind of thought about it. They really don't. It's just the two guys they lost were by far the two best players on the secondary that wasn't very good last year, talking about Theo Jackson and Elante Taylor. And so I guess that kind of brings me in to the two other things I was going to say in the secondary. And one, we said we got to watch a little bit of 11-on-11 work on Monday. Two safeties, as you'd expect, were Flowers and McCullough. Warren Burrell out at one corner. Kamal Haddon was at the other one. Even before uh, they subbed into the second team, Brandon Turnage got some reps where Haddon was, so it seems like they were kind of a 1A, 1B there. And then maybe the one that stood out the most to me was Tamarion McDonald uh, was the starting star. Uh, he's been working with the safeties mostly in drill work and mostly throughout his, his young career that's where he's been. But he was working at star uh, ahead of Slaughter, ahead of Wesley Walker, who I think is going to be one to watch there. And uh, I think that that's going to be interesting. Christian Charles at the corner spot, once he, he's had a, the red non-contact jersey on, he's been doing drill work, but nothing more. I'll be interested to see where he is in the pecking order. And then that kind of brings me to the last point, uh, what I was getting at. You know, Tennessee returns both those safeties. And those safeties were really the only guys that ever played last year at safety. Charles was at safety early in the season, and he played a little bit. But after he got injured in the Missouri game, it was McCullough and it was Flowers. Those were the two dudes that played safety. Can Turrentine, can... McDonald, if he ends up there, Danico Slaughter, if whoever you know ends up not starting at the star spot, if they get reps at safety, can those guys become effective enough in practice to earn snaps? Uh, you know, one to just relieve those guys because they had to play so many snaps in, in Tennessee's defense, and two just to give Tennessee a little, a little extra jolt. And I think especially when you look at McCullough, his speed is probably his biggest downsize. And I think Tennessee has a, a little bit more speed and a little bit more athleticism in that defensive back room than they did a year ago. Can any of those younger guys who are new to the system uh, kind of come and, and have a really good fall camp and, and make it where they earn William Martinez trust to get on the field early this season? Absolutely. Speaking of positions that might be looking to replace a starter that that has moved on, you know, Ryan, the offensive line has has been a place that I I have found fascinating throughout the first couple days of camp so far. To me, when you look at this Tennessee offensive line, four of these spots are are pretty much all but locked in. I I think we feel confident about those. Uh, When you have Darnell Wright, Cooper Mays, uh, Jerome Carvin, and Javante Spragans, seems like that's probably going to be four out of the five in some form or fashion. What about that left tackle spot, though? I, that's That's been an interesting conversation the first couple days of camp. 
you know, when, when talking to Alex Golesh on Sunday, he had a really interesting comment that I took away from. He said, you know what, obviously finding that starter is going to be important. We, we want to fi- figure out who's going to be that spot, especially when you have the blind side of a quarterback, when you have a right-handed quarterback. That left tackle position is going to be invaluable. But at the same time, sometimes figuring out who that three, who that four is in the depth chart is almost just as important because you kind of expect to to need it by some by some point in the season. I, that's what Gullish said, said you know, going back to last year. He said, yeah, we had our starters lined up, but you know, quickly in, like we had to start moving guys around or, or filling in uh, pieces with depth. So that has that's been something that's really caught my eye. But that left tackle spot, I think you look at a couple of different guys for that uh, spot. Maybe a Jeremiah Crawford, maybe a uh, maybe a Mincy. Even I, I think there are certainly pieces that that are going to compete for that spot. I, I think just like any of these other positions that we've talked about, whether it be uh, the wide receiver somewhere in the secondary, it's going to be earned. Uh, but to me, it's just going to be. Something to watch. Who steps up and who who eventually earns that left tackle spot? It's going to be incredibly important. Yeah, I think that's one. It's just hard hard to glean in general in practice when yeah. you know, there's probably no position in football that the common eye you know doesn't can't evaluate as well as offensive line. And then I think even more, in fact, they haven't even put the put the shoulder pads on today for the first time. Haven't put the full pads on. But I think you're right. To me, that one's. Really, uh, at least going from Golish's comments, that's that's a two-player race between uh, Gerald Mincy and Jeremiah Crawford, and, and to me, it feels like Crawford has repped with the first team uh, the first couple yeah. of days. I think it's he probably has a little bit of a head start in that job. So that'll be interesting to see. And then the kind of the excitement on the practice field today was uh, Gerald Mincy and R.J. Perry getting into a little bit of a, a brouhaha uh, over in the offensive line drills and. Uh, really, more than anything, what stood out about that is you know Jerome Carvin, who I would say is probably the leader of that offensive line, is, is a fifth-year senior who's played a lot of football, and there's not a more soft-spoken yeah. kid who's has Just a smile on his very face, optimistic, yeah, very nice, you know, never, like I said, very soft-spoken, never hardly not even raises his voice, but speaks loudly yeah. in press conferences, and he was. He was barking at those two guys uh, when they got out after the first time. Uh, and then again, when it happened the second time, he kind of went over to the side and talked to Mincy one-on-one. So I thought that was a little bit of excitement that we got in our 18 minutes of watching practice today. <laughs> and then uh, hey, You're lucky. I was on the yeah. other side of the, the complex. I, I missed it until you told me about it afterwards. Yeah, no, I had uh, the first two days of practice, you were watching the offense and I watched the defense. I said, I'm going to go watch the offense today. It's, I, I planted that fight. I, I, knew that fight oh, was, I knew that fight was coming. And I wanted to. I wanted to Sneaky. watch it myself, but no, I, I thought that was uh, some good leadership from from Carvin, and uh, certainly that left tackle position or that left tackle battle will be interesting to watch. Yes, certainly. Ryan, let's flip over to the trenches on the defensive side because I think there's some interesting stuff there. You know, we talked to today actually just a couple of hours ago. We we got to talk to Tyler uh, Tyler Barron who has consistently come up as a leader on the defense, as a leader on the defensive line, as somebody who is stepping up into a more vocal position. I think whether you look at teammates or coaches, Tyler Barron is a name that repeatedly comes up. But the other one does that does at the same time is Byron Young. Seems like a lot of the defense is looking at these two guys as the leaders, the 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 people who, the guys who who, who you need to to give a kick in the pants if they need to, right? To to. Uh, to really step up and to unite everyone, I I think that having them on both sides of the off or excuse me on that defensive line this year, the, Tyler Barron talked about that how last year they would go from the same side, so it'll be a little bit of a rotation. Now they have them both going from other sides. To Tyler, he said that's you know that's the best way that he he has seen to attack the quarterback. I really think that could be a productive spot for Tennessee. Am I 
Do you think I'm I'm exaggerating a little bit, or do you do you share the uh, the thought? No, I shared a thought. I think I, I talked about it last year that I thought it limited Tennessee's pass rush so much that they wouldn't play those guys on the field at the same time, yeah. just because those were the two best edge rushers. And I talked about it. I wrote about it, a full article basically dedicated to that one thing of how much better can Tennessee's pass rush get because of what we said earlier. I think the secondary is not going to be very good, and for a defense to take a step forward, the number one thing that I see – is the most likely way to do that is the pass rush getting a lot better with four guys. And I think that's, I don't know about if reason, uh, yeah, re- I think it's a reasonable you know thing to think. Yeah. Something that could happen. Because Tyler Barron flashed early in the season. Uh, Byron Young was playing really good football uh, by the end of the year. And you're right, those two guys seem to they clearly be the leaders in that defensive line group right now. Every drill they do, they're the first two ones going. Byron Young, you know, you never, granted, it, it was, once the season starts, they don't let us watch practice anymore. But in fall camp last year, and that's right when Young had gotten to campus, I hadn't ever heard him say a word. And he's he's barking out orders. He's barking at guys. Uh, so I thought that was you know kind of a clear sign that a good sign in the fact that you know it may not end up meaning anything. But the two guys that I think are, are maybe more important than to Tennessee, the success of Tennessee's defense than any other, are leaders. They're very locked in, and it seems like they have the right mindset going into fall practice. Yeah, absolutely. So looking for uh looking to see how the pass rush can uh pass pass rush, thank you, continues to evolve uh as we continue on for the next weeks. But looking inside in the interior, it seems like Amari Thomas has one of those spots fairly locked up. Uh who did they start? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Bryson Eason. Yeah. Uh, who who they started in that eleven on eleven. Not that I was shocked by that, but I, I was a li- at least a little bit surprised just to see him with the starters. Not that I had maybe an expectation of who that was going to be, but I just think there's a couple of players that are going to be competing for that spot. Uh, we talked to Latrell Bumpus today, uh, who, 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 excuse me, we talked to uh, who Dejan else? Dejan Terry. Dejan Terry. We talked yeah. to we talked to him today as well. So a uh, couple of those guys right there, and then we know that Tennessee's got guys like Elijah Simmons, right, also in the background who who really go back to spring and you heard a lot from the coaches about how much he had improved from the spring one of the things that I was looking forward to going into the fall camp is getting to talk to Elijah Sims again to see if it is the same kind of uh, improvement that happened from fall to spring last year as did from spring to you know fall this year if that makes sense but what do you what do you think about that defensive line spot yeah no, in the interior to me I just kind of have less takeaways about it than Really, any other position? What just just the fact? I think there's they got a lot of bodies there. You just hit on, on I think all of them, um, and I Dominic Bailey being the one other one that comes sure. up, and he may be playing. I think one of Easton and Bailey will probably end up at a strong side defense in position that Barron's at. I think Bailey was repping at that some earlier in the week, but to me, those guys are going to play. It's the defensive line. It's a it's defensive line for Tennessee. You need the rotation. Yeah, where you, Tennessee's defense on the field for 80 plays multiple yeah. times last year. So all those guys are going to play. Uh, right now, I don't think I've you know anything I've seen indicates to me that there's a huge separation between those guys. I'm probably with you that, that Thomas is probably the best one in that group, and I think that's to me probably the biggest question and a question we won't have answered until game start is can one of those guys separate themselves as, as a real difference maker like Matthew Butler did last year. We know those guys are solid. We know they can hold up, but can Tennessee have someone who can create a little bit of havoc and give a little bit of an interior pass rush, or just be really strong against the run? Hey, guys, I have a question. Go for Shoot. it. This is Bob, by the way. Um, Welcome back to the show, Bob. We had you – well, we had you we, – we got a thought from you a couple weeks ago. Yeah, uh, I just – I pipe in every once in a while. During March Madness, I think it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I had a quick question because you guys are giving a great layout of, like, kind of player by player, et cetera. But I'm thinking about this being 
year two of the Hypel regime. You've been there now for about three days. And I'm just thinking about, is there a contrast between last season when they were really just getting started and this season? And I'm thinking mostly about just, I keep hearing you talk about overall speed with some of the players. Do you feel that like throughout the roster? And this speaks to the conditioning that's going on and everything else. You know, it's like year two of getting all of that under Hypel's belt and with the team and the assistants and everything else. What's your, do you have an early takeaway after a few days of watching them? Yeah, I would say the team speed has been better, and I think Heupel said as much on Monday, not not as after the first practice, and I think you really see it more with in that defense back room is maybe the one that stands out the most. You have it at receiver too, but I don't think it was necessarily a surprise that the guys at receiver, obviously Squirrel White, it's a reason that you know five nine. 160-pound kids playing in the SEC is how fast he is, and we've seen that with Jalen Hyatt. So you've seen it from those guys, but I don't think it's been surprising to me. I think really where it stood out is the most is in that defensive back room. And then kind of to your point about it being year two, it just, you go back, you rewind to this exact three practices in, first week, two weeks last year. All you heard about in those player interviews is the tempo. I mean, it's crazy. It's it's more than we ever could have thought, and we haven't heard anybody say that this year. Just because I think the understanding of the expectations – is so clear, and I think that probably gave those guys a little bit of wake-up call that they better be conditioned coming in to fall camp, and I think that uh, adjustment has been much less this uh, this fall camp than last. Yeah, I would agree with a lot of that. You know, to me, all right, so I'll go back to Sunday a little bit, but to me this has been a big kind of welcome back to school moment, right? You, you think about when you were back in grade school and – that first day you get back to school and maybe it's not freshman year anymore. Maybe you're now a sophomore, maybe a little bit of a junior, and you have a little bit more familiarity with the people. Uh, yes, yes, you did just go through a whole year with them, so you know everybody in the room by now, but now you're going into a year with that familiarity. Uh, I think that what I have seen from Tennessee is just, again, not to say that this was different last year, but it's just a little bit more of a well-oiled machine. I, I think that no matter where you look, even if it's just the logistics of how practice goes— Obviously, you have some some new guys that are still trying to maybe figure out the exact route and where they need to be and win. But at the same time, I, I think that you just look at the overall efficiency of Tennessee. To me, it moves fast. It moves like a well-oiled machine. They, they get to their places where they need to be. Everybody's locked in. So I, I think you can take that answer of yes to speed, but really kind of put it on a different couple different ways. Yes, you can talk about the players' individual speed. We talk, You just talked about the secondary. We talked about guys like Squirrel White. We know that this offense... Uh, And really just this team needs to be fast in order to be successful because that's just the scheme that they're running. But at the same time, I think that you go to some of the logistical side of of things as well. And and to me, Tennessee is operating very well right now. They're operating with speed. They're operating with tempo. Um, So, yeah, I I think you can answer that question, yes, in a couple of different ways, actually. Yeah, I think that's, that's all pretty accurate. Yeah. Well, hey, that's about all I got for the... Tennessee fall camp. Obviously, it's only been a couple days, Ryan, but we are still going to going to be out there tomorrow, going to be back out there this weekend. There's a lot coming up in the month of August, so make sure you stay tuned to all of it. And, of course, we'll be back in a week as well uh, to talk a little bit more on the podcast about what we have seen with our own eyes over on at Tennessee's campus. But that being said, we're going to take a quick break right here uh, and jump back on the other side, talk a little bit about some Tennessee baseball stories going along, talk about the uh, Major League Baseball draft and, and some Stories that have uh, continued to come down the wire since that happened in about mid-July. Just maybe some other uh, little Tennessee stories that we can find as well. So, hey, don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. We'll be right back. 
And now, back to the show. All right, here we go. Back into the press pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Just got done with a little bit of Tennessee football fall camp conversation. Now we're going to flip the script a little bit. Ryan, let's talk about baseball. We had a little bit of breaking news on the website just yesterday as Tennessee right-handed pitcher Camden Sewell has announced that he is returning to Knoxville for one final college season. Again, he announced that with a social media post on Tuesday. What were your initial thoughts when you saw this come down? Yeah, I mean, it was it was really an interesting situation, and one at the point, the deadline for player for players to sign with MLB teams was by the end of the day, August first. So yesterday, doing the math, Tuesday when Cam announced that was August second. So we knew he wasn't going professionally, and we kind of knew I knew that at least for a while. And we knew that he went undrafted as well. So yeah, really, the only option still on the table was to sign an undrafted free agent contract. Correct. Correct. Yeah, and really, what became the other option was for him just not to play baseball and. Uh, really, the complication in, in all this is that, uh, like you said, this is his fifth season. He's already graduated from Tennessee, and the way you know baseball works, they got 11.7 scholarships to divide out amongst the, the 35 players that they want to, and you know you can give him academic aid. And, and he was on the Hope Scholarship, being a Cleveland, Tennessee native. But since he graduated and he was going to be going to graduate school, he couldn't get the Hope Scholarship. You anymore. lose the scholarship. Yeah, he couldn't okay. get the Hope Scholarship, yeah. and for him to go to grad school. Uh, you know, it was obviously going to cost a lot of money, and that was a whole whole issue. And essentially what happened was, uh, talking to some people close to the situation, is that he accepted a full-time job in Knoxville, and then it was, all right, well, he decided he wanted to pitch still. He decided he wanted to play. It was, how do we make this work? Uh, how can he work 40 40-hour job, a 9-to-5, uh, at least is my understanding, do some grad school, and, and then also play baseball? And I think they worked – they kind of figured, Camden, I think, he decided last week that's what he was gonna, he wanted to do, and they kind of had to figure out the logistics of it over a couple days, uh, but they did, and, and he'll be back. And I think it's, you really can't overstate just how big the news this is for Tennessee. Huge. Because uh, Tennessee loses a lot of, of its main pieces in the bullpen, and look, you have some guys that I think are talented in there. You know, Wyatt Evans has been awesome in the Cape Cod this summer. Uh, you obviously have uh, Zach Joyce, brother of Ben Joyce, who is coming out of retirement uh, to play for Tennessee this year. So you had talented Irby. Seth. Yeah, Seth Halverson is a guy that you know transferred from Missouri a season ago, was injured all of last year. So there was talent, but you said you just said the name Kirby. He was really the only guy coming back in that bullpen who threw a lot of innings this season. Well, okay, Mabry's gone, Ben Joyce is gone, sure. Redmond Walsh is gone due to graduation. Mark McLaughlin is gone. So I think, and then. So then you have the talent, and you obviously have really good starting pitching, so I don't think you're hitting the panic button there, but it's like there's a lot of newness in the bullpen. I think the concerns about the newness when you bring in a guy who, as a senior last year, was your most used guy out of the bullpen through 50 innings. He's been the definition of a Swiss Army knife for, Army knife for Tennessee. I was talking about this with somebody earlier today. You know, he's been, since he stepped on campus, he's played four years at Tennessee. I don't think he's been any worse than the fifth pitcher on Tennessee's roster at any moment. And I think you can argue that he hasn't been worse than the fourth pitcher. And this is a guy that's never been a weekend starter. So it's certainly been, I don't think he maybe gets the fanfare that he deserves for how effective he's been, but he's been one of Tennessee's best pitchers. He's had an ERA under three all four years he's been in college. And he's just like what I said, he's a Swiss army knife. He's the safety blanket for Tony Vitello. And I think it's Really massive that he's going to come back and do a bullpen with a lot of new faces uh, and a lot of guys that are going to be stepping into new roles. I think it's going to be really big to have oh, some continuity with a guy you know you can really count on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just said it. Four, four seasons here, one of those obviously impacted by COVID, so that was a shortened season. But in the other three, threw over 45 innings in each one of those seasons. 
This is just a guy that, that has been reliable for Tennessee. Not only reliable, but productive at the same time to everything you just said. So, absolutely. You know, I can't ever, can't ever talk about Cam Sewell without thinking about the, the commitment story, which is, which is yeah. one of the funniest stories out there. It's a guy who grew up a, a Gators fan, no? Yep. Yeah, correct. Eventually had Florida Gators bed sheets and, and bed spreading. I think. Say that again? The key to his house was like, out of, was like Florida. Design. Okay, there you go. So probably blue and orange. And then the day he committed to Tennessee, he said, you know what? we got to get everything out of here. Yeah. Anything that could possibly be uh, related to Florida, got to get it out of here. So they did. And, he's, per- day. and he's proceeded to probably have about the three best appearances of his career against Florida. Yeah. Go back to, to two years, 2021, SEC tournament semifinal, six shutout innings against the Gators in a game Tennessee wins. You go this year to the regular season. I believe that was game two of that series. He threw the last four innings. Uh, I don't have those numbers in front of me either. Either allowed one run or no runs. It was really good in that game. Tennessee won. And obviously the most recent one in the SEC tournament championship game this year. He gets to start again against Florida, and he goes five scoreless innings in that game. So he's been the Gator killer uh, in his Tennessee career, and he's been uh, probably, you know, I'd say – Outside of Sean Hundley, uh, probably the most effective, the most relied on bullpen uh, arm Tennessee's had since Tony Vitello's been here. In other baseball news, Tennessee gets a a pair of uh, additions from the transfer portal, including reigning AAC Player of the Year in Griffin Merritt. He announced that he would be transferring to Tennessee on Monday. He said this in a tweet, I'd like to thank UC for allowing a kid from Cincinnati to live out his dream. I cannot uh, speak more highly of a program. I'll always be a Bearcat. I've decided to take the next step in my journey and graduate transfer to the University of Tennessee. What was the other uh, transfer that Tennessee pulled in? Yeah, Charlotte pitcher Andrew Lindsay, kind of a a similar situation. He's from Tennessee originally. He played at Walter State back a few years ago, the same year that Ben Joyce and Zach Joyce were on the team. And kind of a similar situation to Zach Joyce where he went to Charlotte, he pitched for a year, and then last year uh, because of some off-the-field issues, he decided not to pitch, decided to come out of retirement and transfer to Tennessee back home. So he'll be an arm that uh, is another guy that you can add to that list of has potential throws, you know, has an upper nine, mid to upper 90s fastball. The talent's there. You know, just haven't seen it. You know, he's he's been pretty good on the field at a, a Conference USA level, but we haven't seen it in the SEC. So another one you kind of add to that list of you wonder about. And then uh, with Griffin Merritt, we talked about it last week, I think kind of at length, where yeah. Jack Alexander, uh, the Austin P catcher, decided to sign an undrafted free agent deal instead of transfer to Tennessee. Makes Jared Dickey probably have to spend a lot more time behind the plate. And then that leaves a really, a, I don't want to call it a black hole because that would be too overdramatic, but a lot of question marks about who's going to play in the outfield. And then Tony Vitello and his staff go out and get the reigning AAC player of the year in Griffin Merritt, who played left field last year for the Bearcats. It could play a little bit of first base, too, if Tennessee were to need him there. So I think that's a huge, huge addition. And really, Tennessee continues. They certainly haven't had an LSU season, offseason in the transfer portal, but to address a lot of needs and get a lot of quality players through the portal. Yeah, ultimately six transfers this offseason for Tennessee, like you had said ago, in just seven weeks since the season has ended. Obviously, we, we know that some of those players won't be uh, be completing the trip to uh, to Knoxville to play with Tennessee and Tony Vitello, but nonetheless, I mean, Kansas shortstop Maui Ahuna, uh, Alabama third baseman Zane Denton, Austin P. catcher Jack Alexander, UConn star Reggie Crawford, and then Charlotte pitcher Andrew Lindsay. Those are the six in total that have... Uh, at least at one point this offseason committed to Tennessee, uh, I think that's a that's a great sign of things to come for the program. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, it's all positions in need. You have one you have one pitcher in there, and I think Tennessee feels good about those bodies. And they lose basically. You know, Jared Dixie's kind of Jared Dixie's kind of the one uh, one that's hard to 
figure out what to call him because he, when he was healthy last year, he started, but he wasn't healthy for a lot of the season. Essentially, Tennessee lost eight or nine, depending on how you want to word it, of its starters in the field. So to add guys like Ahuna, Denton, and then Merritt to add it onto the list, those are three guys that uh, I'd be really surprised if they don't make a big impact next year for the Vols. That is going to do it for us here at the Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. All right, so it is a Wednesday afternoon right now. We're going to have this out by Wednesday evening. We will be back next week as well to continue talking about the ongoing storylines over at Tennessee Football Fall Camp. But otherwise, if you want to keep locked into all the news going on over there on campus, make sure to check out RockyTopInsider.com. That's where you are going to find all of the nose uh uh, news, notes, and coverage from Ryan and I over at RTI. Also, make sure you're following RTI on all the different social medias. You have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. We have content on all, uh, on each and every platform, so make sure, uh, make sure to go check it out there. If you want to follow Ryan online, you can go and follow him on Twitter at rshump00. If you want to follow me as well, you can follow me at Rick underscore Butler. But ultimately, make sure you're following Rocky Top Insider on Twitter. Make sure you are checking out the website. We will see you next week. This has been the Press Pass.